bringing European SaaS together was the initial premise for SaaS Talk. Even in its first year, we outgrew that proposition with attendees from over 30 countries, making it a global conference with a European heart. SaaS Talk will be returning to Dublin in October 2022, and our super early bird tickets are on sale now, saving you 400 euros. Grab yours by visiting sastock.com forward slash sastock dash 2022. Founders are, are by nature, they have generalist roles where their roles are always changing. They wear multiple hats. Having the self-awareness to know when you're not doing something well, especially it links to, to hiring, which is the second thing is really the starting point. I think a lot of founders want to hold on to things because they feel like, oh, I'm the founder, it's my baby, I want to hold on to it. But actually they're not the best at it and they're, they're not doing very well at it either. And they just want to keep doing it because they get a validation from it. And so having that self-awareness to be able to check your ego at the door and just think, you know, actually, no, I'm not the best at this. I, there are other things I should be spending my time on that are far more impactful. It's time for me to sort of either delegate this or hire or, or just not be doing this anymore and not be the bottleneck for the company. So I think always that's the first place I start. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show, Keji uh, Mustafa, Global Director and Brand and Community at Partech. Uh, welcome, Keji. Hey, Alex. Happy Tuesday. Great to have you uh, on the podcast. Uh, I know we've been planning this for a while. Glad to kind of finally, uh, finally do it uh, and have you on the podcast for the first time. Um, I think also maybe the first time we've had somebody from Partech, but I could be wrong uh, on that one. Um, but well, it could I'm be the wrong. first, yeah. but I surely won't be the last. There you yeah, go. Exactly. <laughs> good, yeah, good stuff. Well, Keji, uh, thanks so much for taking the time speaking to the, the, the SaaS doc community, uh, the SaaS Revolution Show listeners. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, you, you know, before we get into uh, uh, today's uh, topic of conversation. Who is uh, Keji Mustafa? Great question. Uh, Keji Mustafa, as a human, I'm a Londoner of Nigerian descent. Um, I'm a lifelong learner. I love to connect people and ideas. I love to create experiences. Um, but as a professional, I started off life as a lawyer and I qualified as a barrister and thought that was what I was going to do. But I actually really didn't get energy from it. So I moved from bar to fashion, to events, to operations and found my way into startup land. Um, and I had a, a wonderful mentor. I joined a company called LV. I was head of operations there for a couple of years. And then from there, I started advising startups at early stage on operations and strategic partnerships. And then I joined Connect Ventures, which was, uh, an, is an early stage VC firm in London. I was there for just over four and a half years. Uh, and then most recently joined the team at Partech. Awesome. Very good. Yeah, so I knew, uh, and I think I made the... Uh faux pas at Sasokamiya or announced you as, uh, as, as you were speaking, uh, you're working at Connect Ventures, but you just moved to Partech and I, I, I should have known, but it, it, it slipped. But you obviously recently moved to Partech, as you say, after four and a half years at Connect. Yes. Uh, why did you join? What's the story sort of like behind that? It's funny because I, I joined Connect and for what was meant to be a two-year tour of duty. 
And after two years, they were like, no, you should stay and do more great things. And I had the privilege of building out three functions while I was there. And I'd sort of hit a ceiling. And the next step for me was to become the COO there. And I thought, oh, I, I love this. I love this team. I love this company, but I really just don't want to do operations as, as a job anymore. And you know that question people ask, what's something you're really great yeah. at, but you just don't want to do, and it was that. Um, and then I started, uh, I, someone reached out about the role at Partech. I had a few conversations with them. Uh, I went and did some digging and I, I really just loved the conversations with them. I loved what they were doing. I loved the partners I'd interacted with. Uh, and yeah, they said they were creating this role, uh, brand and community. And for those of you who aren't familiar with us, Partech is a global investment firm uh, based in Paris with offices in Dakar, San Francisco and Berlin and Paris, of course. Uh, we invest across stages, across sectors and across geos. And I really, I mentioned earlier, I'm a lifelong learner and I thought it'd just be a great opportunity to just learn. I mean, it's, I know somewhere in my future, I want to found a company, scale it and IPO it. And I figured why not learn what that looks like, what the later stage uh, business also looks like and, and just get to grips with that. And so, yeah, they made me an offer that I couldn't refuse, I suppose. And I, I recently joined them. I'm two and a half months old. Yay. Um, and I'm really loving it so far. So, yeah. Congrats. And, and actually, as you say, uh, given that you've given your, some insight into your ambition, to, you want to found a company and, uh, and take that to IPO, what a great way to get that exposure with all these great companies that are kind of moving towards IPO that you can, you, you know, learn uh, from all these companies and founders. Um, uh, so that's definitely a, a fantastic kind of opportunity uh, uh, to do that. Um, what, what about uh, like Partech, um, you say sec sector agnostic, obviously has invested in, you know, quite a few SaaS companies. Which ones would we know uh, potentially? In terms of some of the SaaS companies in our portfolio that you might have heard of, we have the likes of Azucap, Alain, Bitrise, Ecovadis, M-Files, uh, Penny Lane, Trade Depot, Yoko. That just gives you a bit of a mix. But um, yeah, those are some of the more notable SaaS companies in our portfolio. We have north of 2 billion assets under management, and we have over 200 portfolio companies uh, across the stages, as I mentioned. So we have a seed stage fund, a venture fund, a growth fund, and an Africa fund. And yeah, like I said, we invest in a, a whole load of different companies. And, and so we, we are today going to talk uh, largely about founders, uh, as most of our listeners are founders, and how they learn to scale themselves. But before we get into that, uh, I know another topic that you you are like you know interested, passionate about, and uh, speak about is is platform in VC, and we're seeing a lot of uh, uh, venture capital firms you know uh, have this platform thing, and 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 uh, people that uh, you know are head of platform. What is it? Uh, why should founders care? Um, you know, tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. So I suppose I define platform as a set of strategic activities, services, initiatives that are outside of the direct investment activities. And um, so that could be anything from talent support to biz dev and corporate dev to uh, marketing and, uh, and PR to brand uh, and to community. Um, and it's really great because obviously the best founders now, mon money's a commodity, right? Like you can get money from anywhere and you want to get smart money. So having a fund that has a really strong platform play is really beneficial because you get all these other things in addition to the partner and the money. Um, and above all, you get to 
be in a community of your founder peers and learn from people who are in the same boat as you, maybe slightly further ahead, um, and just sharing war stories, success stories, and, and plugging those knowledge gaps, which helps you accelerate yourself and accelerate your learning and plug your knowledge gaps. So platform, I think, is um, when I started in platform five years ago, it's my fifth year in it, there were probably in Europe, I think about 60 platform people globally, there are about 200. Now, globally, there are over 1300 people in the VC global platform community, representing, I think, 600, 700 funds. And in Europe, there are over 250 of us. So it's clear now that, you know, it really is a, a thing that funds have to have to be able to support their portfolio at scale in a meaningful way. Uh, as you mentioned there, like beyond the money, like founders should be thinking about like, well, the smart money or, you, you know, uh, the investors that can add value, like on, on the most part. Um, and so if everybody, if all the VC firms seemingly are having, you know, platform uh, teams or, or the you know, platform within the, uh, the business, how does one founder choose, uh, you know, which VC potentially, you, you know, is going to offer the most value outside of the money? Uh, if everybody is maybe competing and saying, hey, we've got a platform team to help and uh, and so on. What have you seen? Like, What insights can you share around that? Well, I will say uh, at the risk of sounding um, not nice, just because someone says they do platform doesn't mean they do it well. So that's the first thing I think founders should really like drill down and ask questions like what does value add really mean? How do you really do it? How do you measure the success of it? What are some of the things like talk to other founders as well? And if you've done a good job with your platform offering, the founders will speak about it themselves. Oh, they'll, they'll, when they're DDing, they'll tell how great it's been. And one of the things that we did at Connect was, you know, we, we would ask founders to tell us if it was a competitive round, like what were some of the reasons why they picked uh, connect and you know platform was often one of those reasons that they picked it and that was a real testament to the work that we did there and how well we really did build that out and and that's the same thing we're doing at Partech we have a really great team across the board they make really so we have a really strong BD and corp dev team they make really great introductions to the right people at the top fortune 500 companies we have a really really strong marketing team who really help the first time founders pull together their stories and think about how they're going to get in touch with the press and how they're going to put their messages out there. Uh, we have this fantastic community of all the founders and the function needs of the portfolio companies that we've backed. And so, you know, founders can really dig in and really ask those questions. And you'll you'll know pretty soon if people are, uh, are paying a lip service to it or not. And Forward Partners did a great study last year, actually, which was um, the More Than Money report. And um, yeah, in there, basically, founders were saying just that, which is that they have all these VC saying how much they have platform and community and really do a great job of it. But actually, the reality when they dug in and lifted the veil was that it's all lip service and they're not really doing anything. So I think just because people say they have it doesn't mean they do it well. Interesting. Um, well, look, we're going to say we want to speak about uh, how the best founders, the best, <laughs> uh, learn to scale themselves as uh, as their company scales. Um, and obviously, you've got great insights, uh, you know, into this, having worked with uh, a lot of the best founders, uh, you know, to date. So let's dive into, you know, a few of the, uh, you know, the things that the best founders do to scale themselves. So what, what would be one of the first things? I think one of the first things that spring to mind would be self-awareness and humility, which sounds really strange because it's you instantly think, well, that's a soft skill. Why would you think about that? But I think because founders are, are by nature, they have generalist roles where their roles are always changing. They wear multiple hats. And I think 
having the self-awareness to know when you're not doing something well, especially it links to, to hiring, which is the second thing, is really the starting point. I think a lot of founders want to hold on to things because they feel like, oh, I'm the founder, it's my baby, I want to hold on to it, but actually they're not the best at it and they're, they're not doing very well at it either and they just wanna keep doing it because they get a validation from it. And so having that self-awareness to be able to check your ego at the door and just think, you know, actually, no, I'm not the best at this. I, there are other things I should be spending my time on that are far more impactful. It's time for me to sort of either delegate this or hire or, or just not be doing this anymore and not be the bottleneck for the company. So I think always that's the first place I start. And also with that as well, it's thinking about, okay, what should I be learning and how should I be learning to make sure that I'm actually spending time on the things that matter the most that are gonna have the highest impact. So definitely I, I always start with self-awareness and humility. And it's funny, um, when I meet founders, it's very clear quite early on. That, I mean, you have to have conviction anyway, right? Like, and really believe in the dream, but it's very clear early on the founders who don't have a level of humility or self-awareness. And instantly, I think you're going to have real problems later on down the line. Like there's no two ways about it. And I've seen it play out time and time again. So for that reason, I always start with that. Awesome. And, and then you mentioned, that you, uh, I think you said there, the second thing would be hiring. Yes. Uh, uh, is, is that right? I Absolutely. Because I think hiring great people who are smarter than you in specific domains, it goes back to that self-awareness and humility piece, right? Because you, if you hire somebody and you do your job right and get an A rock star, eight star rock star talent they're going to be better at you at whatever it is you've hired them to do at which point you know you're going to say i want us to do this and they're going to say that's a terrible idea and you're going to have to accept that because you've hired someone who's better at you at that to do that thing and i think a lot of the time when i see it go a little awry is when founders hire great people but they don't actually give them and empower them uh, give them the autonomy and empower them to actually make those decisions and and trump their decisions and they start like putting their aura in and then those people think well what am i doing here like i'm a rock star a star talent i can go anywhere and actually like be fulfilled and be able to really shine and run and thrive and contribute to this company in a meaningful way so i think that is definitely the thing it's not just hiring great talent but then empowering them and giving them the the runway to just run and just get out of their way so they can just execute and excel for you so yeah if you hire great people, it frees you up to go do other things, things that you get energy from and things that you're better at. And so why on earth would you want to stop those people doing the great thing that you've hired them to do? It's, it, I find it really counterintuitive when I see them. I'm just like, what are you doing? I want to shake you, but I can't. <laughs> no, no, 100%. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess it really ties well into that first point that if you can't check your ego and the humility uh and yet you still like think well i'm going to try you know and hire uh, a rock star or an a player but if you haven't checked your ego it, it's just not really gonna gonna work whereas you said they're going to be trumping the the a players you, you know decisions or you know handicapping them in uh in, in some way from really kind of you, you know having like full autonomy um and that a player is not going to stick around if they're if they're truly an a player right why would the A players or, if, well, you'll know yeah. if they're not an A player if they hang around, <laughs> basically, because yeah. A players by nature, they, yeah. they're A players because they excel, right? And if you're not giving them the room to do that, having hired them to do a job, but then you're not actually letting them do it, like, yeah, they're not going to hang around for very long at all. So, yeah, that one we see time and time again. Um, and I wish there was a button you could push to help founders just get out of their own way, but sadly, hasn't been invented yet. And what would you like if, again, you, you've seen this kind of play out, but the founders who don't get out of their own way or, you know, struggle to check their ego, how do you broach that um, with the founders? Is it, you, you know, is it something that you've been able to uh, 
uh, I, I don't know, like convert founders that, you know, are really struggling to let go, really struggling to check their ego because maybe it's just innate within their, their personality. Um, but perhaps after good conversations with, you know, Keji or, you know, other people like, Maybe do they come round? You, you know, have has have there been use cases? Uh, you, you know, of this. Yeah, definitely. I think for founders that seem to be ones who don't want to get out of their own way, the first thing I always try and do is connect them to another founder who is maybe similar in the beginning and actually found a way out of it. So just speak to someone else because sometimes it's like, well, why do I want to chat to someone from my investment, like the investment team? It's like, I just, no, I don't want to hear from you guys. You don't know anything about it. So I'm like, well, go talk to another founder. And actually you should speak to founder B because they've been through this very same thing. They can share their learnings and they can tell you how great it feels on the other side to have taken all of that stress off their shoulders. Um, and the second thing I always advocate for is to work with a coach because I think coaching is a really great way to be able to unpack why it is that you're trying to hold on to all these things and why it is that you're not wanting to sort of, you know, give autonomy to your team and, and things like that. So having somebody who's outside of your company, who's solely there to sort of help you and, you know, talk to you and is not reporting to your board members, not reporting to your team is just a, a resource for yourself, I think is really, really powerful. And again, you know, I always advocate for founders to chat with other founders who maybe weren't keen on working with a coach before and might have thought it was a bit too frothy or whatever, and, and to talk to them and see how well they've actually grown as a result of working with someone external to the company. Um, and then sometimes it's just a case of just telling them up front, because I've had situations in the past where, you know, these great people reach out to me and they're like, hey, do you know that founder A is doing X, Y, and Z, and it's really impacting me, and I'm literally on the verge of leaving. And if we've tried all those first few things that's still not working, then, you know, I'm a, a tough love person. I'm just like, listen, you're about to have this person walk out the door and it's literally this is real so you decide do you want to spend another six months trying to find someone great to join your company or do you want to actually just like get out of their way get out of your way and act, just let everybody do what they're there to do so i think those are sort of the three ways that i would approach it on on the the the, the topic of coaching so i think a couple of things sometimes i've seen and certainly like within our community founders be inquisitive about they don't have a coach they've got to maybe even like you know a couple of million uh in arr um they don't have a coach they're thinking maybe this is something that i i should be doing and they get some introductions but then they find out that hey you know this coach costs five grand a month or ten grand a month or whatever the whatever the price is and they're like okay well, they look at it from the expense side of things and think well this is pretty you know pretty pricey uh and then i from what I've seen, then kind of like not not progress that, even though they've got a really great opportunity to work with somebody who is a former founder, maybe serial founder, uh, with some great exits sort of like behind them. Um, have you seen that? Like, how do you, what are your thoughts in terms of how to kind of overcome that? I guess perhaps like this might be more of a leaning towards, you, you know, from the bootstrap side, where maybe they're a little bit, you, you know, more conscientious about the money that they spend uh, but in a VC side, you, you know, are you uh, in a venture back company? Have you also seen, you know, kind of similar uh, sort of reactions and thoughts and feelings to uh, getting a coach? And then how do, how do you overcome that? Or what do you say in, in, in that instance? Yeah, I think a lot of founders see it as an expense that they shouldn't be spending because they're thinking, oh, this is just excessive or it's indulgent or something of the sort. But essentially, it's an investment in your learning and you scaling yourself. And if you can't scale yourself, 
quicker than your company scaling, you're not serving your company well. And so I think it's it's a huge, it's a it's an investment in yourself. I think working with a coach is fantastic because it gives you that think partnership, like I said, outside of your board, outside of your team, someone that you can be fully open with, fully transparent with, and they're there for you. So my thinking is always just at least try it, even for three months. Um, it's not going to be an expense that is going to break the bank trying it for three months. And they're coaches, fantastic coaches of different price price points. So even if, you know, you're not going to go for the coach that's going to charge you 12K off the bat, but they're great companies like... Um, escape me right now, but I'll drop them in the notes afterwards for people to check out. But they're great companies out there with really affordable resources. And I think they're a really great way to, to start, at least to test the waters. And if all else fails, chat the definitely founders in your network, whether it's within your portfolio or the wider ecosystem, there are a lot of founder communities that you can speak to who can tell you about how they've benefited from or how they found working with a coach. And they can give you guidance as well as how to get the best out of it right from the outset. So you know that you're not going to be wasting the money there. But I definitely think it's one of those investments that you just close your eyes and do it and it'll pay off tenfold and then some. It's just, it's a no brainer to me. I think it's just, yeah, it's crazy if you don't do it. Do you know any cases of founders that have been super successful that haven't had coaches or or mentors? Does that exist? Um, no to mentors. I've, I know plenty of founders who've never worked with coaches, but those founders have very strong uh, support systems themselves, whether they have already like a personal board of advisors, whether that's, like you say, mentors, other founders who've done it before, um, strong family relationships with great opinions. You know, they have they surround themselves with people who can help them navigate all these different challenges, other founder peers. So it's not I'm not saying that a coach is the be all and end all. But and you need to have it to be a successful founder, but you do need to have some sort of support network and people you can you can spitball ideas with and talk to you and, you know, just just be free and be open with uh, to be able to navigate the crazy journey of being a founder. I have never been on it myself, but, you know, I've seen enough founders to know it is crazy. And if you don't have a support system, you're not going anywhere very fast. So we've looked at self-awareness and humility, you know, hiring, the support network. What else um, you know, could founders be doing to, to scale themselves? I think the third thing I would say is to learn to delegate. And actually learning to delegate is a skill, but it ties into the hiring because I think when you do hire great people, the next step is to, to then like delegate tasks to them well. And the reason I say it's a skill is because a lot of founders I've, I've met and spoken with and advised are like, well, I handed off the task but you actually didn't really give them a proper brief. You didn't give them clear guidelines. You didn't get, you didn't hand it over properly. So it's not, then you end up saying, well, you didn't do the job well, I'll take it back and I'll do it myself. It's like, well, they couldn't do the job well because you didn't actually set them up for success in the first place. Um, and I think a lot of founders struggle to delegate because their thinking is always, well, if I delegate this, what am I going to do then? Like, well, what am I going to be working on? But the point is like, by doing that, you free up yourself to work on things that you could be doing that you haven't even considered yet and haven't had the space and time to consider yet. And I, I had, a, um, this happened a number of times actually over the last few years where uh, founders would say they delegated tasks and then one of the C-levels would reach out to me and be like, yeah, well, he told me he delegated a task and then he like doesn't sleep and then in the middle of the night like does all the work and then sends me knocky emails in the morning that like, oh, I've taken it over now because you weren't fast enough. It's just like, who does that? Like, it's insane. But really it does happen. And I think it's because 
in with those examples it's because they didn't give enough clear enough of a brief and so the person's sort of spending time trying to unravel what they've been told and trying to piece it all together and and then in that time the founder's like well you're not doing the job so i'll do it well but they don't really have the psychological safety to be able to say well you did a shit job excuse my friend you did a bad job of um you did a bad job of like telling me what to do and handing it over properly so of course it's going to take me longer to unravel the spaghetti of what you've handed me so yeah i think delegating is a is a skill, is an art form that needs to be learned um, to, to do it well and, and to have your team feel happy and excited to take over tasks for you. No, 100%. And I guess, the, I mean, this is connected, but um, also maybe not essential as in uh, what we discussed around the coach, but what at, at what stage or would you sort of recommend that a founder gets like a virtual assistant or an executive assistant to take some of the workload from them? I mean, is it necessary? Uh, and, and if so, like generally, where do you see that? You know, is it at a million ARR? Is it at 10 million or, you know, when is it useful? Is it, you know, straight from the get go? I think as early as possible is really useful because I think A, they'll help you structure your diary well so that you're, and, and it comes into what I was gonna, what I'm gonna say next, but it helps you structure your diary well so you're not sort of running from pillar to post. And B, there's a ton of stuff that happens. I mean, it was great. When I joined LV, I was employee number two. It was the right hand to the CEO. We'd worked together in another company before. And I joined in, in an operational capacity. So it's not quite the same as a, an executive assistant. But all the stuff that she should not be spending her time thinking about sort of fell on my plate. And then I figured out who should be doing it. But the point is that there's so much that's happening behind the scenes on the operational side of things, on the admin side of things, that it, it just becomes a weight and it just compounds over time, right? Like it just piles up and piles up. So whether 1 million ARR, whether 10, the earliest possible, I think is worth founders investing in this because straight away, it's just a whole load of things you're not thinking about and you're freeing up your bandwidth to focus on the things that are most impactful. Okay, awesome. And uh, anything else, uh, any other things that founders should be doing? Yes, the final thing I think that's so essential is setting boundaries. And I think setting boundaries is critical because I know a ton of founders who basically work 24 seven and they wear that as a, a badge of honor in a way that, you know, they're killing it and they're really committed to their business. But there's a time for work and there's a time for family and friends and all those things, because all those things are the things that give you energy to be able to give your all to your company. Um, and I'm a firm, firm fan of a, my, a great coaching friend of mine, Dave Bailey. He has a, a list of different things that you should rank yourself on weekly, monthly, and it's exercise, solitude, family time, um, what you're eating, learning, holiday. Yeah, I think those are the six things. And you rank them on a scale of one to 10 regularly. And the point is that you want to make sure that all of those things are topped up because all of those things make you the best version of yourself. And if you don't exercise, and you don't make time for that. Well, exercising gives you like energy and eating well gives you discipline and spending time with family gives you energy as well you know all these things and actually the 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 founders who take that off the table when they say they're too busy and then they just don't do any working out or stop seeing friends or they become really isolated and pretty miserable really quickly and the very thing that you were pouring all your energy into becomes a thing you start to resent and then the company starts to suffer because you're bringing bad vibes to the office and you know founder ceos i, I think of them as um 
they're either sunshine or rain clouds. Their mood and, and their disposition affects the entire company. So if you're not getting enough sleep and you're irritable and you're, you're not eating well and you're feeling really ratty, your team feel it and they feed off it and that just cascades down and you, you're responsible for that. So you actually owe it to yourself to set boundaries to make time for other things outside of work so that when you are at work, you're bringing your best self, you're bringing the best energy and your team is feeding off that. And I think if more founders did that, they would probably enjoy what they were doing more. I mean, you quit your job and set out on this journey to build this incredible utopia that you see because you're excited about it. And then if you don't actually get to be excited about it because it be begins to drain you, then it's all for nothing. And I, I think it's a shame. I think you should enjoy the journey while you're on it. So, and you can only do that if you, set boundaries and make time for other things so sounds a little bit uh again yep. frothy love, but i love. i'm a firm believer i've seen the other side when you don't do it and it's not frothy it costs money and companies can die as a result and as an investor we want to protect our investments don't we so we're definitely big advocates for that <laughs> definitely i don't think it's froth frothy at all i think it's uh, a a great point and uh one hundred percent uh sort of believe in uh and so hopefully all the founders kind of listening uh, are already kind of taking that in. What was the name of the coach that you mentioned there? Uh, David Bailey. He's got a great podcast as well called The Founder Coach. Um, and he's awesome. He writes essays as well. Lots of fantastic uh, learnings. Uh, I'm a big fan of him. So yeah, check him out. Fantastic. And uh, as we then move on uh, just into the final sort of two questions, there's some really great learnings there about founders uh, and how they can scale themselves. What, what's one piece of advice or one valuable lesson that you've learned from working with founders uh, uh, to date that you can share? I thought about this one. So I've got two, if you'll indulge me. One is a piece of advice that I learned in my first year at Connect from a phenomenal founder called John Erner. He's a founder CEO of Space Ape Games. Uh, it was in Connect Portfolio. And he lives by the mantra of a hole is better than an asshole when it comes to hiring. Uh, a lot of people want to hire really fast and they'll just hire anyone and they won't fire fast either. And then you end up with an asshole on your team that's basically causing problems for everyone. So a hole is better than an asshole. Remember that if you don't 100% think they're a the right fit um, or even if you have some niggles about like something just isn't gelling here, like trust your instinct on that. And then secondly, I think um, just generally in my career, one of my earliest mentors she said to me, um, everything is, every, everyone is figuring everything out and we're all humans and everyone is riddled with insecurities and imposter syndrome. But the thing is to harness these feelings and to use that energy to continue learning and pushing yourself to learn because that's what makes you better. And that's stuck with me since. And um, yeah, I pass that on to, to any founders that I meet who might be I don't know. I, I'm very good at reading people. And oftentimes I can read that and I'm just like, it's okay. Listen, everybody, even the investor that sat on your board, they're feeling insecure about a whole load of things. They have imposter syndrome on a whole load of things and it's totally okay. Lean into it and yeah, use that nervous energy to make yourself better. Great stuff. Um, where can, where can people find you online, KG? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, KG Mustafa. I'm on Twitter, KG underscore OSF. And I'm also on Instagram. Sadly, I'm not on TikTok. I'm not cool enough. But those three channels are where you can find me. <laughs> Maybe you need to check out TikTok. I, I've uh, well, I, I actually really love the platform. It, it's uh, uh, good fun, uh, but also the, the, there's good stuff to, uh, to to learn from it. But it's also like very challenging with all the social platforms that we've got to add in another one and be present there and you know build a build a profile on on that. 
I love TikTok. I just don't have anything uh, TikTok worthy-ish. And I don't oh, think no, I'm no, like, yeah, like with challenges. So I'm a TikTok voyeur. I'm just not a TikTok contributor. <laughs> not yet, anyway. We'll not see. Sure, Maybe 2022, sure. you'll find Not yet, not there. yet. But what, <laughs> exactly. What, what space. Well, I, I really enjoyed speaking to you uh, to, uh, today. I think you, you've given so much like great, uh, I think, like advice and you know information lessons uh, to, to the SASA audience. Uh, it, it's been fantastic. So really appreciate um, you sharing with the SASA audience, only swearing once or twice, if, if we include ourselves, uh, but that's... <laughs> Uh, but that's I okay. Um, I was gonna try. I tried. Uh, darn it! Next time. I, th I think you shouldn't have said I'm not. I'm not gonna swear because then you clearly did. And you, you know. <laughs> but 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 it, but it's fine. It's fine. We we we've got a lot of a lot of potty potty mouth guests that come on. Um, and it's all good. But uh, uh, no, it, it was great speaking uh, with you. Thanks so much for taking the time uh, on the SAS Revolution show. Look forward to uh, you know meeting in person at SASDOC events. You know uh, in, in the future. Uh, thanks so much, uh, uh, Keji, uh, for being a great guest. Absolutely. Thank you. I love Sastock. I love what you guys are doing. And I'm so excited to see you in Dublin next year. It's going to be awesome. Definitely. Definitely. 100%. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SAS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SASDOC conferences around the world.